1: Hello and welcome to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and with me today is the former PCW owner and promoter, now author. He is none other than Tyler Steele, aka Tyler K. Tyler, welcome to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Thanks for having me, John. Now I know, obviously, you you've been in and around the business for a very, very long time. We'll get to that, of course, but. First, I want to talk about your books because, you know, you you always see wrestling guys doing wrestling books, but you have a couple books out there, nothing to do with wrestling. So tell us a little bit about the
0: books. Okay. Um, So my first book, Dead Man's Breath, came out last September. Uh, It's kind of a mystery, rural noir uh, detective book um, following the adventures of a... uh, Boozy, but well-meaning private detective by the name of Clay Sullivan. It was well-received. I wouldn't say I got rich off of it, but uh, my royalty checks uh, have been paying my bar tab, which on some nights is no uh, small feat. Um, So it did well enough that I said, well, let's write a sequel. And so The Raven Conspiracy just came out. Actually, the Kindle version came out today, and some folks, I'm told, have already gotten the paperback version. It's available through Amazon and Kindle. Um, So fingers crossed that The uh, Raven Conspiracy does as well as the uh, first book did
1: love it what made you kind of want to write that I mean now usually you know you're a former wrestler wrestling promoter what made you want to kind of write
0: about that world well my day job is a uh i'm a have been a bail enforcement agent a bail bondsman and an investigator for the last know, since 2013 so going on what eight years uh so I drew some inspiration from that and that's You know, I love to read. Um, I kind of went away from it for a a long time with wrestling. Um, You kind of get. You occupy your time, you know, with everything else, you know, sometimes. But what you should be doing. And a few years ago, I kind of got back into reading. But my favorite books have always been mysteries, whether it's, you know, anything from Nancy Drew to Dashiell Hammett, uh, Raymond Chandler and those kind of guys. So kind of combine the two. And I had a story idea in my head. Um, for a while and then basically when you know when the pandemic hit it kind of gave me a you know a lot of time on my hands to to finish the product and that you know i guess a blessing in disguise because i finally was able to you know everybody says i want to write a book one day well one day came last year and uh, and i finally was able to get it crossed off the list
1: good experience overall writing the book
0: yeah i mean it can be you know frustrating at times because i tried to write you know in in 2019 i tried to do some writing and it's hard when you're trying to one run a wrestling promotion and, and work a day job and trying to you know have family time and some degree of regularity so i'm end up writing at, you know two three o'clock in the morning and that's not always conducive to quality or creativity and those sorts of things so uh, you know one uh you know, I shut down Primal Conflict Wrestling in December of 2019 with the intent of, you know, going full bore into writing a book. And then the pandemic hit like, you know, seven, eight weeks later, I guess, you know, February, we started getting some rumblings about it. And then by St. Patrick's day, you know, the world kind of changed. So it gave me a lot of time to write and, and work slowed down as far as it goes. So, you know, basically I just kind of wrote, wrote, wrote. And then, you know, I'd say a good two months, and the in the first draft was finished.
1: With, you know, the quote unquote day job and doing that stuff, a lot of interesting stuff can happen, right? I mean, uh, we're not talking about an easy job here. You're doing.
0: Yeah. I'm, so the the first chapter of Dead Man's Breath was basically, uh, I did a process service job, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but it does. It's not integral to the to the story of the book it was just kind of set the tone for who clay sullivan is but that was basically i had a interesting time with with a with a subject that i was trying to serve some uh, uh, contempt petition to and and i went home and i and i wrote it and that was a short story or basically like a really in-depth narrative that i had written um kind of detailing what i d- had to do to serve the guy and when i said i'm gonna write a book so th- i used that as kind of like a jumping off point or kind of a you know kickstarter to the book um so there's some of the stuff in the book that is you know based on actual events and then there's some that i just had, you know 100 percent dreamed up in my war- warped imagination
1: somebody tells me it's not an easy job to do sometimes
0: No, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's very boring. Um, You know, sometimes you're just setting, setting, waiting on somebody to show up, and sometimes they never show up. Um, So, yeah, there's some exciting times, but there's also some boring times. I mean, you know, you got to. Sometimes you got to have a strong bladder to be a to be an investigator or a bail agent or you know any of those sorts of things.
1: Have you ever ran into Doctor D. David Schultz?
0: No, but I would love to. Uh, I can't say you know, like I didn't follow much about his um, uh, his 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 bail bonding, but um, as a wrestler, uh, he was probably one of my favorites. Um, I mean, he was big in Knoxville, and obviously big in, in the WWE, and made some headlines with uh, the John Stossel situation. But yeah, I've I've heard that he's uh he was a very proficient uh, bail enforcement agent or bounty hunter, which is a term I hate, but. Um, I heard he was very good at the job.
1: Why do you hate Bounty Hunter?
0: Because of that that ridiculous show uh, on A&E, which I won't even speak of. It's so fictionalized. It's a joke. Um, and so at least once a day, I'll have somebody call my office who has zero qualifications and say, Hey, are you hiring any bounty hunters? And it's, no, nope, we don't have bounty hunters or bail enforcement agents.
1: Are we talking about Dog the Bounty Hunter?
0: Yeah. yeah, A felon who couldn't even get a license as a bail bondsman. But yeah, that's who it is.
1: Wow. Damn. You're not a fan of Dog, I guess.
0: Nah. Not even a little bit.
1: So, the Clay Sullivan character, is that loosely based on you or no? Not really?
0: Nah. And a lot of people have asked. And it's a very, it's a composite character. Um. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of different people in it, you know, uh, anybody from, you know, Alan Alda's Hawkeye character from MASH to Dick Powell and anything after the musical career was over. Um, I mean, he's got some quirks, you know, that, uh, that really don't fit mine. I mean, like he's a compulsive, he has compulsive hygiene habits. Like he has to shave every day. Um, Anybody that could see me knows that that's not a that's not an issue with me. I basically look like Yosemite Sam at the moment. <laughs> um, he doesn't like tattoos or piercings and gauges and that sort of thing. And and uh, I'm pretty much you know a, a graffiti graffitied wall at this point. So he's he's you know he's are there some aspects of Clay that that I can relate to? Sure, um, I think that every writer's probably. A little bit of themselves in a main character, but no, it's it's a very composite character, Um and I couldn't say who any one person that he would be, you know, one hundred percent based on. It's a little bit of everybody kind of thrown together in this hodgepodge, you know, of, of a morally askew person.
1: So this is becoming a bit of a series here. There's not just a few books here. It seems like you're going to create a little series here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the goal, and I don't want to, you know, like we really did. Um, basically, you know, a month after the first one was out, you know, people were messaging me and different people I was talking to, hey, when's the next one come out? And I was like, you know, at that point, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, even though in July, I had sat down and, and did an outline for a sequel, but um, it seemed like there was, he resonated with people. So, you know, it seemed like it was inevitable. And now that it, I'd, I'd say that the first book was a success. It's not, you know, New York Times bestseller, obviously, but it, you know, it did well. Um, but it looks like it's gonna. He's gonna stick around a while, and I kind of dig the guy. So you know, as long as people want to read about him, I'm gonna write about him. Um, and he, you know, he's. I've got a couple of short stories featuring him that might pop up in an anthology. Maybe, probably not this year, but in 2022. So he's, you know, I hope he sticks around. I hope he, you know, he gets a, a nice little
1: push for the foreseeable future. I would love it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Anything else going to come out of it? Are you looking to expand the brand at all as far as outside of just the books?
0: No, I, I mean, some, you know, somebody asked me, you know, we, we did like a little Q and a thing and, you know, like who would, who would play him in a movie? Like, I, I don't know. Like if, if movie studio wanted to put their money in a movie, they can, you know, book whoever they want to. Um, I really want to, uh, at some point, probably this year, do an audio book of of at least Dead Man's Breath, and get that out there. Um, you know, we're trying to work out the logistics on that because time is 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 sometimes a, a, a scarce commodity with me. But uh, that you know uh, that's the next that's the next uh, step for 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 Clay Sullivan and and, and that whole series. I don't know that a third book will be out for the foreseeable future because there are some other projects that I have in the pipeline, writing wise, that I really want to get out, you know, sooner than later.
1: It could be uh, Titus Welliver. It could be you know Bosch himself playing the character. Yeah, I think
0: I think that, and that's the you know, well, you know, you put me onto that show, and thank you for that. Um, I think that Titus Welliver. I, He's at the point now where no matter what he plays in the future, I always see him as as Harry Bosch. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he I, he was on the I watched the the second remake of Shaft or whatever that you know the, the one where it was Shaft Junior. And he's in that as an FBI agent, and the whole time I'm just like I'm not seeing him as the FBI agent. I'm seeing him as you know Harry Bosch.
1: He uh, he's awesome on that show. I love that show. I know it's going to be coming to a close, but I wish it wasn't. I, I want that show to just keep going forever.
0: All right? I don't. So in its current incarnation uh, on Amazon Prime, it is coming to an end. But then there's going to be a spinoff, which it doesn't sound like a spinoff, but it's going to be on IMDb TV. And it's still going to have Titus Wallover as Bosch.
1: Oh, that's right. I think you were. I think you said it to me because I was like, wait a second. He's playing Bosch. How is it a spinoff if he's the, the same character and he's the star of the show?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure it has to do with contracts and and stuff like that. But yeah, it sounds like it's just going to be a continuation on a different platform.
1: And season seven is supposed to be coming out this year sometime.
0: That's my understanding. I am waiting with bated breath, as they say.
1: Usually every year, it seems to come out in April. Um, Almost like, I feel like almost every year, maybe after the second season, it just always came out in April. And obviously April's passed, and it's supposed to be out in twenty twenty one. So hopefully, it's out soon. The show is great.
0: Yeah, I was I was late to that party. I mean, when when COVID hit, and I was looking for recommendations, you suggested that one, and I said, okay, well let's. You know, I started at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome, and now did the whole what six seasons in a couple of days, and and now I've been waiting since then for for season seven.
1: Yeah, it's one of those shows you just you binge it. I mean, I can watch it probably a whole season, two nights.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was addicting. I mean, I don't sleep well anyway, so that, that worked in my favor.
1: So, as far as your wrestling career, I know you had PCW. Is PCW Primal Conflict any thought of bringing it back at all or no?
0: There's always that thought. Um, You know, like here's here here's what you know. Here's where it stands at is that I put out a survey three weeks ago, basically gauging people's interest in attending live events. You know, and about sixty percent of the respondents um, indicated that they either had no plans to attend any live wrestling events in the next twelve months, or they would only attend with um, social distancing enforced. So. To me, and and I know that the wrestling business has changed, <laughs> you know, immeasurably over this past year and and uh, you know a half since since I haven't did in a live event. But independent wrestling to me is not economically feasible for socially distancing. Um, you know, as Jim Ross would say, there has to be a butt every eighteen inches, and you know, especially in independence, you know, we're we're not running big 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 halls so the koa which we would pack 300 people into if we're socially distancing then we can only get 80 90 people in it um and that's just not going to cover the expenses of what you know what what we would need so i don't see it at this point being an economically feasible enterprise not that independent wrestling ever was but it definitely you know it definitely we would go into it with the intent to lose money which that's not an option
1: man it's just crazy to think that some shows like how could they be profitable you know because like they were profitable when there was everybody jammed in sold out like you said everybody butt to butt you know cheek to cheek whatever like everybody's in there and then maybe they could turn a profit now they have to do social distancing and this and that there's no way that independent wrestling can be profitable unless it's in some big place that the promoter somehow got for free or for cheap
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to have to really, and, 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 and maybe that's an option where ven- these bigger venues are going to be more, um, more reasonable on their rents, or they're going to take a percentage of the gate or, or something of that nature. But, you know, and, and not for nothing, but I have a very definitive version of what I expect wrestling to look like. And, and I'm not saying I'm one of those old timers that doesn't want to change with the times, but I kind of am. And if if I can't, put a product out there that looks like what I think pro wrestling should look like, then I'm not going to do it. And, and that's kind of where I am. um, In terms of, you know, it has to be, it has to be worth my time and worth the fans time. I think I built up a lot of equity with, with, you know, the fans in this area particularly over the 13 years that, you know, if I put my name on it or Primal Conflict Wrestling on it, they were going to get their money's worth when they, you know, when they bought a ticket.
1: To me, it's like, wow! How could some of these promoters say, like, "Oh yeah, let me run and have, you know, fifty people, you know, in in the crowd, and they're all spread out." Just first of yeah. all, it doesn't look good. Yeah. Second of all, like, there's no way they're making money.
0: Exactly, and 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 they have some sort of, you know, a revenue stream for their content. Maybe they're with, you know, I don't know, IWTV or or something of that nature, or maybe they're going to try to put it on YouTube and, and recoup their the losses that way, which I think is an uphill battle. You and I've discussed that, you know, ad nauseum at times. But to me, I just don't see—I just don't see it being a, um, a, a financially viable option at this point.
1: And you got to be in it to make a little bit of money. I mean, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. kind of the name of the game.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I can't even. You know, it has to be for me at this point. It has to be worth my time. Um, I'm not. You know. I'm not saying I'm looking to get rich on anything, but you know, yeah, it has to it has to pay for itself. And and I don't see that's how that's possible. Especially the way, you know, like I say, I, I like small buildings that were full instead of, you know, build buildings that people are spread out in. That just doesn't work.
1: I just I not know, it's like I keep kind of thinking in my head, like how did like the fans get into it too? It's one of those things it's like it doesn't even look good or be pleasing. They're like, oh yeah, we're very small amount of people spread out in, in this place and <laughs> know, just to me it's 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 not the, the good old feeling of going to the wrestling show and have it packed and everybody's loud and you know yeah. it's
0: uh it's crazy it just doesn't have the same feel absolutely i mean you you know if you went to the ecw arena back in the 90s uh you know and i did the you know part of the allure was the atmosphere of the fans you know if you look back at the wrestling not all of it aged so well um, but, uh, you know, the atmosphere, the fans made it worthwhile and, you know, and on a, a very much smaller degree, the KOA where we, you know, was our home arena, you know, when that place was packed and the, and the fans, you know, kind of could elevate some guys and some matches to, you know, do it just through their enthusiasm.
1: What shows were you at, at, at the arena? Do you remember? I
0: at, yes. I was at the night that, that Terry Funk, uh through the uh, flaming towel chair into the crowd and the power went out actually uh, was on the top of the bleachers uh, on the opposite side of the snack bar and I when the lights went out I fell backwards off the bleachers um, took a, probably the best bump of my life in the dark and uh, and then I was at one in August. It was right before the pay-per-view, the, like the second pay-per-view in Florida. I, and I remember Shane Douglas and Terry Funk. And I think that there was a cage with Jerry Lawler, and Rick Rude, and a bunch of other people involved. I don't remember what that show that, that show's name was. They all, they all had names, but I don't remember that one, what the name of it was. But it was like August of – it was an August event before they went to Florida for the pay-per-view.
1: Man, that must have been a nutty experience uh, yeah. at ECW. Never went to a show at the arena as far as ECW, which kind of regret. I know I was a little bit younger at the point, but I kind of regret just somehow just not going. But man,
0: it just looked crazy. It was crazy. Uh, it was crazy. And and looking now, and and uh, that the neighborhood has changed. You know, it used to be you know, uh, well, there's a, a thrift store or something down in the corner. Um, where, where they would, fans would buy the, the frying pans and, all, and the sh- cookie sheets and all that stuff. Some kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, outlet store or something. And now I think there's a Starbucks down there. That whole neighborhood's gentrified comp- compared to what it was in 95.
1: Yeah, it's not bad down there. So I, the first time I think I went to the, I believe it was 2002 I believe it was for a CZW show, which is horrible. Yeah. So, um, man, it was just like, wow, the area was crazy. But the arena was, at that point, a complete and utter shithole. I mean, we'd say we will ECW ruined it, but I think CZW may have somehow made it worse. I mean, it was, and I got a tour of the building. I mean, oh, man, it was, it was a mess. Just tables broken everywhere. Everything was a mess. There was no shower. There was no toilets that were working. It was It was really, really bad. They uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> I took it like I say, I was there in 95 and maybe 97, I think. And then I didn't go back until whenever Ring of Honor and uh, New Japan did uh, what the War of the Worlds or whatever that tour is there. And when I got down there, I thought I was in the wrong place. I'm like, this isn't the same place, like you know, this is totally different, like the neighborhood, the, the building. Is Different you know the, everything is different you go into the building from a different entrance now um, But it you know night and day
1: The bathrooms they actually have bathrooms that bathrooms actually work, you know, they yeah. they actually have a bar I mean, it's actually kind of nice now. Yeah,
0: that was the worst thing is the bathrooms in 95 I remember going to the bathroom and walking in and like standing in two inches of piss and I'm like, yeah I could probably hold it. I'm just gonna hold it. till I get back to West Virginia or until i get to to a truck stop or something
1: I know carrie silken was saying he used to go and like man like yeah if you had to go to the bathroom really bad you were i don't know like you said either holding it in or like regretting having to go and you know be mad at yourself it's like oh this is this is not gonna turn out well
0: yeah and there was you know there was when you, you know, the underpass that goes by there there's you know needles and burnt spoons and different accoutrements out back it was it was a definitely a wild place but you you think of the talent that went through that building like you know everybody from Jerry Lawler to Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, Doug Furness, Phil LaFon. I mean it, it's almost everybody that you know Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton everybody went through that building it, 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 for some promoter or another maybe you know, make you know a side of Hogan and Flair, which they may have been. Who knows?
1: It is crazy. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Sullivan, uh, Kevin Sullivan, about this. Like the big names that they would get, and he said nobody would complain. Because I said, would anybody kind of complain? Like, oh, what, what? You know, who booked me for this? Like, what? This is a hellhole. I mean, he said nobody ever really complained. I mean, you, you know, you got the Hansons of the world, the Terry Funk's of the world. Arn Anderson Eden, you got big names coming through there and nobody
0: complained. Wow. It was definitely something. I mean, even even to, you know, uh to, you know, and that and that's, you know, going through different places, you know, Daniel Bryant and uh, you know, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, which is a match. Those two guys in Manassas, Virginia, I went down to see my first ring of honor event because Bobby Shields, I think, did a dark match or enhancement work or something like that that night. And there was maybe 300 people in Manassas at this soccer soccer arena-type place, and Daniel Bryan versus Seth Rollins happened that night. And it was a very entertaining match. Um, wow, and, nice. but, you know, you know, there was 300 people there. You know, now if you put that match in an arena, which maybe not now, but, you know, pre-COVID, you put that match in an arena, you're going to draw thousands off of it, you know, in a buy rate, the whole nine yards.
1: Were you always a big ECW fan? Like, was that your your thing or you just yeah. kind of wanted to go?
0: I just kind of wanted to go. Because um, I, uh, I, you know, tape trading and things of that nature and somebody had. I didn't, I never got ECW TV until they went to like the Nashville network or whatever that was. Um, so, but somebody had given me some tapes or something like that. And I was like, wow, this is kind of wild. Um, and they had people that I liked, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of Shane Douglas and Terry Funk and, you know, those guys. So, you know, 95, I think it was, you know, so I want to go, you know, just to see what the ECW arena is. And then, uh, I forget why I got roped in the second time, but um, I I enjoyed it. I can't say that ECW was ever like my favorite promotion or that, you know, I was, I wasn't one of those, you know, fans that really, you know, went hog wild about it. Um, You know, if somebody asked me what my favorite era was or, you know, I'm more of a traditionalist and I, I kind of saw that they were kind of really doing too much. and They would burn out eventually um, was my opinion of it, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it, you know, so aspects, certain aspects of it, you know, like, you know, chokeslams through 12 tables, you know, didn't impress me, um, but, you know, there was a lot of, the. the I thought that they did a, a, a tremendous job with with very limited resources in terms of production and telling stories that, you know, were really missing from mainstream wrestling at that time
1: experience at the arena did it make you like it more or less
0: more um in, in, a, in a roundabout way i looked at it as to me i thought that you know like i, I kind of looked at it from a business standpoint where damn this guy's packing you know 1200 or 1300 people into this shithole and they're buying merch like crazy i mean everybody was buying you know a, 95 I guess it was well you know either a cactus jack shirt or a pitbull shirt or sabu shirt or Taz shirt or you know they were just they were eating it up so it seemed to me like they had they had they had a fan base that wanted to spend money and I, that impressed me the most um, now where all that money went I have no idea um, they obviously didn't put it in the, the venue at that time they you know it was just um I, to me, I thought it was, you know, a, a marketable product to a niche, you know, to people, uh, to the to their fans that they were going to spend money there. And it was the same thing I saw the first time I went to Ring of Honor. You know, people were buying the DVDs like crazy and the T-shirts like crazy. I mean, it was like they were, you know, stocking up for the winner. These people had like, bags of, of DVDs and and t-shirts, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff always impressed me. Maybe I'm always looking at the, the monetary side of wrestling, but you know, that's kind of where I, you know, I saw it. Cause at first ring of honor, to me, I saw the first event on like a DVD, that did a commercial. And I think it like went to F, you know, FYE or whatever those stores were. And I got it. And that was just, it seemed like every match was the same moves over and over again. But when I saw it live, you know, I guess 2000 and, six or seven, whenever that was, it came to Virginia. It it was a totally different product and it was very, it had multiple layers and and you could tell that there were different guys there. And I guess maybe Adam Pierce was, was involved in the, in the booking at that time. So things had changed from what it was, you know, four or five years before. When
1: you did and started PCW, did you call it PCW because you wanted it to be close to ECW or, no not in no, so. no.
0: I, I don't even know how so I, I had been reading a reading a a story uh it was some kind of fantasy thing like a lord of the rings knockoff and and the in the and i don't even remember what it was but you know so we're talking 2006 i guess it was when when i was reading this and it and it said you know the primal conflict is upon us and i'm like the Primal Conflict. What does that mean? So, when the opportunity came to, or to to run a wrestling event, I said, "Well, I'll call it Primal Conflict Wrestling because that sounds different." And then I found out two years later that there was a Primal Conflict Wrestling like ten years before. So, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. But that—that's why I picked it. wasn't It wasn't out of any kind of uh, relation to to ECW. I just thought it sounded no different. homage. No, nah. and I and I kind of wanted I, people want I wanted people to say primal conflict wrestling. I didn't want PCW because every letter of the alphabet's been been bastardized in wrestling. So I kind of wanted them to say it out loud, like people say Ring of Honor more than they say they ROH, and I think that works. You know, I think that the the lettering of the thing has been done to death.
1: So when you started. PCW, when
0: was it, and, and how did you get it started? So, it, it, and I, I've, I've kind of ran through this before. So, I, I where I live at, Charlestown, West Virginia, I'd been wrestling for 11 years before, prior, but I, I kind of didn't wrestle locally because there was really no good local promotions. I would wrestle in Baltimore, and that was about as close as I came generally. Um, You know, I'd pop in for an indie here or there, but mostly it was, you know, Baltimore, Philly, um, and then out in the West Virginia, Mason Dixon wrestling for Jim Hawkins or Tennessee for Bo James or whoever. And this guy had booked a, uh, an indie event at the community center where, um, where our soccer fields and softball fields are at where my oldest daughter played soccer at. And, uh. The guy that ran the place, the director of the parks and recs, he said, "Hey, we had this wrestling event in here last week, and it was awful. There was like six people there, and it was terrible." And blah blah blah. Is that what you do when you go the, you know, when you when you go wrestling? I'm like, no. He said, "Well, we like to have wrestling here, but you know, this guy this doesn't have a clue." So he said, "Would you be interested in doing something?" And this was like, I want to say, October of 2006. I said, "Well, let me see what I can put together." And, uh, I didn't want to just jump into it and do the same thing, you know, just, I wanted to see what we could do. So I booked three dates there in 2007, March, April, and June. And, uh, that ended up being the, you know, kind of the, the catalyst for it, for it. And to be honest, the first couple of years weren't all that great. Um, kind of just pieced it together with whoever I could get. And it wasn't until, um. you know, 2011 or 12, when things really took off a little bit better and we got into a regular schedule.
1: So when you kind of started, you didn't really plan on, like, basically having a promotion. You kind of want to see how it would go first?
0: Basically, yeah. I, did, I wasn't interested in running a promotion per se, and it kind of – I said, I'll book three dates. We'll see how it goes. Um, and then I just basically booked guys that I knew and liked. Uh, to, um, you know, I said, Well, if, if it doesn't, at least you know, some guys that I work with will have a payday, you know, and we'll see how it goes. Um, there was a couple of regroups, resets, um, but yeah, they you know, basically we just kind of felt it out, and, and it, it was very, like I say, uh, I don't want to stop and start early on, you know, I was like, Ah, you know, I wanted to see how far. I didn't want to, like I say, I didn't want to do it if it wasn't going to be worthwhile. Um, but I found, you know, I found a couple guys that, okay, this guy's got some potential, like the Bobby Shields, John Kerman. And then, okay, well, we'll do something with them. And then we'll, this guy here really is a producer or really kind of we hit a brick wall. We'll move him out, move another guy in. And then eventually, like I say, around 2012, things kind of start hitting a good groove. And then that's when, you know kind of got into a regular schedule and had a regular crew and, and that sort of thing. So when you're kind of, you know, moseying along
1: and, and doing PCW, when does it start picking up steam? Who are you bringing in as far as like name guys? It could be XW guys, but name guys.
0: Uh, picking. Up, I mean, like I, I I often say that I don't think that especially 2000, 14 in that neighborhood, um, we started doing So the, I think it was more of a, where we got into it. We went, to, we left the community center. We went to the KOA, which was a smaller building. And I think that that atmosphere, like we were talking about, I think that started feeding it and, and really changed the dynamic of things. Um, we've always had a good relationship with, with a lot of guys um, like Sanjay Dutt, who, who would, who had came in, you know, basically we, Sanjay probably from 2009, I guess, you know, multiple times all the way up until the time that he went to be a, an agent. Um, we had a good relationship with him. Uh, a lot of guys, Luke Gallows, you know, he was here, well, he was in PCW when he was the IWGP Tag Team Champion, Tama those guys. So, but it was always the core crew that I think that kept people coming back. Obviously, we had a big. You know, we would have our big events at the Ranson Civic Center. Um, started out it was one a year, and then we went to two a year, and they. And that's when we would tax all Jim Duggan and you know, X Pac, and I'm sure I'm forgetting tons of people that would that would headline those. Jerry Lawler, but you know, it was always the Bobby Shields, the Dirty Money, Ken Dixon, Black Wall Street, all those guys. I think that really kept kept the fans engaged and coming back. You know, every, you know eight weeks or, you know, whatever our schedule ended up being.
1: Do you think that when you're doing shows like that, you need the big names to, to draw some of the casual fans and then your guys will keep them coming back?
0: I, I definitely think that that was the case, uh, you know, early on. Um, it was – I think it has to be a marriage of that because if you put, you know, Joe – you know, blow versus, you know, Mr. Wrestler on, on a poster. Not many people are going to come, but if you put Greg the hammer Valentine on a poster, then you've got, you know, this guy was on you know television for the better part of 20 years um, or people more recently, like, you know, Stevie Richards or Kevin Thorne, any of those guys, and people are going to be able to relate to them. But, you know, if, 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 if there's not, it has to be, a, it has to be a marriage to me um, between, Who's, you know, some guy I saw on television when I was a kid versus a, a good match that I want to come back to see. and you know, Or, you know, man, Dirty Money and Ken Dixon are going to, you know, wrestle for the third time. and This time it's in a cage, so no counts and no, you know, DQs. So I want to see that, you know. I definitely think it's, it, has to be a, it has to be a blend. I'm not so naive to think that, you know, local guys are going to draw event after event without benefit of the t- television stars.
1: How is that territory like your? Or, well, not now, but the old territory, Virginia, West Virginia, the area you ran. How is that wrestling fan wise?
0: Horrible. The reason it's horrible is because they've had you know so many bad events over the years. It's, pro wrestling's almost a, a, a four-letter word. You know, oh my God, I went to the, you know, I went to this terrible event at the, you know, at the fire hall. Man, it's awful. I never want to go see another wrestling because they don't distinguish. You know backwater championship wrestling from primal conflict wrestling they just know it's not wwf or not wwe so we're not gonna we're not gonna waste our money and time on that again so it was hard to get people in and i don't know how many times uh, countless how many people said well you know I, i'd been to an event at the armory and then you know i was had, I had reservations about coming to see you know you guys stuff but now I'm, you know now i'm here and i'm hooked you know to this day on our on our facebook group you know people say oh You know, I went to an event before and, you know, then I got hooked with you guys and I miss, you know, they miss the wrestling now. I mean, everybody does now because they have, not excuse me, had live events for so long. But, you know, I think the sentiment is still there that, you know, they they would prefer to go to a primal conflict wrestling event than any of the other so-called professional wrestling groups around.
1: I noticed all the names that you named, you did not name Coco Beware. Is that done on purpose or
0: I love Coco Beware. He's he's amazing.
1: <laughs> Why am I not believing you?
0: Uh, it was a uh let's just say we have we had a difference of, of opinion. Um but I saw him several months later and it seemed like everything was was uh was was good between us. When last we spoke,
1: really? I didn't know you saw him again. I thought, uh,
0: yeah, New Orleans in an elevator with uh, with Road Warrior Animal, not uh, oh wow, yeah,
1: who you also booked,
0: who who you also booked,
1: yes, yes, but he was at your show, though, he's at your correct,
0: yeah, uh, that would have been what September of 2019, um, yeah. We spoke. We talked about football more than we talked about wrestling. Oddly enough,
1: he's great. He and he knows my buddy Vinny, and for whatever reason, he wanted to like prank him. I was just like, it's like the surreal thought in my head. I'm like, War animal, me, my phone, <laughs> pranking <laughs> my friend that he knows very well. So like, I was like, how crazy is that? Like, first of all, it shows what a fun loving guy he is, but it's just surreal to me. It's like, well, we're pranking my friend because rotor animals asking me like for my phone. It's like, let's prank. And I'm like, okay, all right.
0: And that's, um, you know, that and that's to me is one of the cool things about, about wrestling is that. And I'm not saying West, you know, my part of West Virginia, I know as soon as somebody says West Virginia, they're thinking coal mines and, and, you know, moonshine and shotgun shacks. We're a little more cosmopolitan. We're what, you know, 45 miles from Washington, DC. But, a lot of these folks here don't have the money or the inclination to drive into D.C. when the WWF or the NWA would come to town years ago or to Baltimore. So to have, you know, one half of the most dominant tag team in professional wrestling history um, to come right into our, you know, to our Rancid Civic Center where our kids play youth basketball, et cetera, and to be able to interact and see him in the ring and to get a picture, that's what independent wrestling To me, is is that when it's at its best.
1: Now, Coco, just going back to him for a second, he actually brought fans into the ring when you really didn't. At this point, you weren't supposed to,
0: right? No, there, there's, you know, and that that was an issue. He he brought fans into the ring. One, you know, it's it's a it's an independent ring. Um, it's not made to hold you know. Thousands of pounds, which is literally what was in it. Um, I, probably what uh, fifty kids plus him, and then adults were getting in the ring, and it was just a, a litigious nightmare. Uh, somebody would have fell or got hurt. The lawsuits so would have came out of that, especially when he had not cleared that with anyone or asked, um, you know, permission to do that in advance. And then when staff tried to remove the kids. Um, his reaction was was counterproductive that's what that's what kind of you know caused us to have a dif- difference of opinion so to speak and it's just uh, it's funny because obviously it was there but just funny
1: that he just like took it upon himself <laughs> to mm-hmm. to bring fans in the ring uh obviously funny for me but not so funny for you who's the promoter
0: yeah some of it. i mean that that's that's something you no you know one i would I would think that somebody with his level of experience and would have went to the promoter. Hey, is it okay if I, you know, bring a kid or two into the ring or, you know, then we could have had the staff be prepared for that. And they could have selected one or two in to go in the ring, you know, like if it was a Jimmy Valiant thing with, you know, he would get the kids in the ring and dancing and all like that. Yeah. Then we can do that. Then we can plan for it. We can, uh, you know, accommodate that, but just to Hey kids, everybody get in the ring, run over the barricades. That's a horrible precedence. That's a horrible. Idea. I can't imagine him thinking that would be okay. crazy,
1: crazy bastard. Yeah. That, uh,
0: Another—that's uh, one of that's one bad thing out of you know thirteen years. So I, I'll take it.
1: Now, one time when when we were there, uh, when I was at the show, Greg Valentine, who was awesome to hang out with that day, came in and shocked some people. You know, obviously, he wrestled. I believe he was a six man, but. He got a arousing, crazy ovation.
0: Some somebody brought that up, and that is so. I don't know how many events we ran over thirteen years. You know, not a we didn't run a territory or a schedule, but we we ran a, a fair amount of events. And it's that that match that day that event comes up probably in half the conversations people. People bring up about primal conflict wrestling. Was that Greg Valentine, who was never known as a warm and fuzzy individual, got a standing ovation and and it seemed like an eternity of of a chant of "Thank you, Hammer," but it was probably what three, four, five minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, uh, uh,
0: uh, it was a sustained ovation for a guy that was never a you know never a prolonged good guy. I mean, he was always the he was always the bad guy, right? So it, it shocked me. I think it shocked him. Um, and it was probably one of the coolest things i've ever seen to be quite honest,
1: Still shocked to this day. I was like, I can't believe that happened it was, it was just awesome because you know, he was always kind of a heel basically anyway But yeah. that crowd loved him. What a respect chan for uh, greg the Hamler.
0: Yeah, and that's you know, and I think it, it actually kind of you know, like threw some people off when, when we when we put him in that match he was um, let's see, it was him, Nui Tofiga and Hoss Haygood who are, or both of those guys were our, you know, really fan favorite type wrestlers, uh, um, at the time against the doll dynasty, which one of those was Sean stud. And I, I remember Greg, you know, asking me, is that, is that really John's son? I'm like, no, yeah, it is. He said, well, I'm going to see what he's got. You know, and he rubbed his hands together. And he, so, when you think of Greg Valentine and the sixth man, you figure he's just going to come in at the end and put the figure four on somebody. Nope, he started the match. Um, oddly enough. And he, you know, he worked with, with Sean Stud a little bit in there to, you know, kind of, I guess, feel him out. So, it was, it was a really, that was a wild event all the way around. Um, Shane Douglas showed up quite, you know, quote-unquote, unexpectedly and changed the Changed the course of our heavyweight title so that was always you know uh that that event that's it was a sunday afternoon i think it was right um Mm -hmm. yep after the two-man power trip con one i believe um so it was a that was that that will always be one of my favorite events
1: so cool very very cool the hammer got some great respect that was uh
0: that was awesome that
1: night but as far as PCW, it is closed for now. What what made you kind of want to get out? I mean, this is pre-pandemic. It, it was almost perfect timing because if you kept it going, you would have to shut it down anyway because of the pandemic. So what kind of led to the, the closing?
0: Burnout, to be quite honest, burnout. Uh, we'd started producing a local television show, um, I guess, I guess the deal came together in July and we did our first taping, I think in September and aired start to begin to air. And I guess Tuesdays in October. And that's when it went from being a, you know, I always put a lot of effort and a lot of time into the primal conflict Wrestling. And that's when it actually became a full-time job trying to navigate this TV station and, and, and the challenges with them and the challenges of getting production done. Um, that was that was a big part of it just a burnout just not enough time and I, I really wanted to to do some other things my dad is he's 82 now um I guess he was coming up on you know he was well, was a year and a half ago um, and he's not in the best of health and he requires a lot of my time and my wife's time so there just wasn't enough time in the day and when I looked you know when you look at my ledger you know what's What's taking up the most of my time and giving me the, the least reward? Well, it ended up being primal conflict wrestling, so it had to it had to go in the back burner. And I I be honest, I talked to you know Dan McDevitt with mcw a good bit, and, and I told you my my original thing, you know, my original game plan was to get some things in order, and then probably come back by November of 2020. Well, COVID just blew that all to hell, so. That's kind of where we, you know, that's where we left it off and, and where we are now. Do you miss it at all? I miss the creative part of it. Um, there's a lot of the guys that, that, uh, I, I have a lot of faith in, um, that I want to see do well. And I, I'm glad to see some of them are, 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 uh, doing well in wrestling and some of them are doing well outside of wrestling. Um, so that, that, that aspect I miss, I miss, I miss the creative aspect. I don't miss the 15 hour show days or, you know, wondering if the TV station is going to screw up airing the TV show this week or, or is, you know, somebody going to get hurt on this event or is somebody going to no show this event or, you know, any number of things, you know, well, we booked a show in January, Is going to snow this year. Uh, who knows? I don't miss any of that aspect of it, but yeah, the creative part and kind of helping guys, you know, give them a platform to, to, to do well. I, I miss that part.
1: PCW for me was, was great. I really enjoyed kind of going down there being a little bit of a, of a manager for you for, for a few months. Was, that was some good stuff, uh, getting to work with PQ. Preston Quinn was awesome. Um, loved just a uh, good stuff down there from PCW. Real, it was like a higher grade indie because I've been to some indie shows. And boy, man, they were horrible.
0: Yeah, um, I've gotten some some you know wonderful praise, and and some of it you know I'm responsible for, and some of it's just the guys are really good. Uh, Ross Perot I think said you know see the secret to success is hiring good people and letting them do their job, and that's that was my philosophy at all times. You know, like you know. I can't, I, like I said, I can't say enough about the guys, and, you know, and, and the girls that, that we had, um, and that that made that made me look good at times uh, when I had you know very little involvement. But uh, you know, and then there was there was the creative parts, like you know, the forgiven, which you know I, is something that I'm very proud of that had you know my hands my hands in, so to speak, and every other part of me to be honest. So creating things like that. was was, was fun. I just create in a different way now.
1: Man, uh, like, some of the indies have been to, not to say any names, but, you know, there's been some bad ones, and you could tell maybe they don't know what they're doing, or they don't know how to run a show, or they're not professional. PCW always uh, stood out to me. It always did a great job of professionalism, and just the way to put on a show, and you wouldn't bring in guys that really shouldn't be in the ring, which I've seen a million times. Maybe the kids sold you know, five tickets, so they put them in the ring, and you guys didn't do any of that nonsense.
0: I, I appreciate that, but brother, I, I've seen, I've seen national TV products that some of those guys shouldn't be in the ring. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's not limited to the to the Indies. It's it's kind of across the board at this point.
1: Do you keep up with current wrestling?
0: Uh, no. I that uh, major league wrestling, and I, I don't. They don't need me to show for them. But uh, that's probably the only hour of of wrestling that I watch. Current wrestling that I watch, you know, each week. In some weeks, I do miss it, but um, I try to pick it up. You know, like the hour, be- you know the hour the hour before the next the next episode. I'll I'll get caught up. Um, I dig their product. I watched WrestleMania this year. Um, I didn't watch it last year, but uh, you know that's as much current wrestling as I've watched since you know November of two thousand nineteen, probably. Why is that? I feel disconnected from the product. it's, it's, it's not oh, I'm gonna sound like that one of those old cranky dudes at this point, but it's just not what I grew up on as far as wrestling goes. Um, they you know WWE, the you know Ring of Honor, they all have a lot of talented folks, but um, for some reason it just doesn't seem to resonate. you know it doesn't come through in the product anymore. Um, I did try to watch some of it, you know, with the without the crowd and I think that definitely hinders it but to be honest, I was kind of Um disconnected before the pandemic, so I can't even blame it totally on the on that I
1: feel like I don't know like, You don't want to be that person like oh, it's not it's not good anymore and You know, like, you're, you're out of touch. It's great. I don't want to be you know, One of those guys ar- arguing with these fans because I think they're they're nuts, but I feel like a lot of the fans like want it to be good and try to force it out there like oh it's good it's good i swear this is great i loved it but bottom line you know they're completely full of shit yeah
0: and i mean if you enjoy it you enjoy it you know there was there was a lot of the, you know there was a lot of wrestling you know in the late 80s early 90s um that that i didn't enjoy you know but but for every you know for every Ding dongs, there was, there was, you know, there was Tully and Arn, you know, for every doink the clown there was, there was a Bret Hart, you know, or, or five or six, you know, so I just don't, and it's, and it's not that, you know, it's not like that the Roman Reigns isn't fantastic because he is, but for whatever reason, then it seems like they're just kind of, they're not letting Roman Reigns be Roman Reigns. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know why it doesn't come through. In the in the in the energy of the of the of the matches anymore, or the you know even the setups, it just doesn't feel like it's there. Um, but you know, like I say, I, I can't I can't I can't grade it or I can't comment and, you know with an informed opinion because I haven't watched it in so long. Like I just didn't feel that from WrestleMania this year, even though there were fans there, it seemed like there was something missing. Um, it, it, to be honest, most of those matches didn't seem like they were WrestleMania matches. Um, it was like preseason games that they were trying to pass off as the Super Bowl uh the
1: current product let's just say not good minus a few people <laughs> yeah. I mean that's like the nice way of putting it but there's a couple guys that are good and then the rest of them are it's not even like they're they're bad necessarily but it's just there's no interest the creative stinks there's no juice behind it there's nothing to, to get into it's just uh, kind of rotten all the way around
0: yeah uh, and I'm, I'm sure that you know you you have to keep up with it to don't you know go on podcasts i'm pretty sure that if i were to watch you know a couple of weeks worth i'm pretty sure i'd probably agree with that assessment but I, I do like major league wrestling i think that you know and you and i have have i've shared my opinions with some of that you know i'm not going to you know give them a glowing uh, you know all A's on their report card but you know jacob Fatu, too man i dig that guy i mean he is he is a badass champion, you know Alex Hammerstone. Same thing, Richard Holiday, Von Erichs. I mean, they have some great talent, and they present them in a in a meaningful way to me. You know, and it's plus it's only an hour. I think when you get wrestling event uh, television programs and there's three hours, and then you got to watch, you know, this this show and that show, and it's it's too much. Major League Wrestling is is easy to digest for me. It's one hour. I don't have, you know, a whole lot of time to you know watch. You know multiple hours of the same Guys every week or you know what Whatever you know format they're throwing Them out there in.
1: Three hour rolls are nuts I mean if anybody has To watch they and get through it god bless Them they're like impossible To get through yeah, for me anyway just Impossible
0: yeah I, I mean three Hours is a pay-per-view yeah I mean that's You know match 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 You know and I'm sure that raw is not that I'm sure it's You know talk talk Match half-ass match And we'll talk, talk, talk some more. So, you know, that's always, that's kind of always been, that that shows formula. So I can't imagine three hours of that.
1: So as far as, you know, current wrestling, we'll agree it stinks. But old school wrestling, I know you're a bit of a Smoky Mountain fan. A little bit of a Smoky Mountain historian.
0: Uh, I think that I've uh, educated myself to a reasonable degree um, on Smoky Mountain um, I've definitely watched every episode, uh, multiple times. Um, I, I enjoy the product. Um, uh, that's, and yeah, I still, I still watch the, you know, what are we looking at 30 years next year since Smoky Mountain debuted, actually 30 years the the TV debuted 30 years ago. Uh, it'll be February, I guess, of, twenty twenty two, it'll be thirty years, but they started taping in ninety one. So, you know, we're kind of coming up on that and it's still it's still relevant uh in terms of enjoyment. Like I can watch it and still be entertained by it, which I think says a lot of how, how well it holds up, you know, and it and it, it had it was a roller coaster of of a ride in Smoky Mountain too over, you know, the four year history, but for the most part it it was solid, solid wrestling.
1: And you go back and You just look at uh, some of those cards and some of those rosters, you miss it. You know what I mean? And you, you go back, and you're like, man, that's some good stuff.
0: It, it is absolutely, and and I can't imagine, you know, how Jim Cornette was dealing with, with so much at one time. And I know people's gonna, you know, they people have their opinion of, of Jim Cornette. It's either you love him or hate him, um, but. Not only was at one time working for WCW and then several months later working for WWF, and he had the Heavenly Bodies and, and Rock and Roll Express going there, but you know, the first year he was booking the Fantastics in and out of all Japan. And you know, throughout various times, Tracy Smothers would go to Japan and he'd have to be without his top, you know, his top baby face of his company. The Rock and Roll Express would go elsewhere for you know, short tours, but. But keep in mind, he was taping his TV, and he was three or four weeks, so he would be without some of those guys for TV taping. So I can't imagine how, how he juggled all that and worked for the WWF at the same time without, you know, <laughs> and uh, developing some very bad habits. But he seemed to have made it through unscathed overall. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a bad temper, but I think he's always had that regardless.
1: So, as we hit the wind down and, and head towards the finish, I know, obviously, you're a long-time, or were a long-time wrestler. Is there a favorite guy you worked with? Is, is there somebody out there that uh, sticks in your head more than others? Bobby Eaton.
0: That was a uh, a highlight. Uh, teaming up with Bobby Eaton was probably the highlight of my career, even though it was kind of a, uh, a marred event. It was, it was my favorite match, but... I, you know, hands down. It's not even close. I don't think anything else. Plus it was it was against uh Ramblin' Rich and Jimmy Gennetti, two of my favorite guys on the opposite side of the ring. So that was a uh that was definitely the highlight.
1: How did that happen? How'd
0: that go down? That was uh the so we could give you the short answer or the long answer. The short answer is Uh, That was a problem-conflict wrestling event, so we can understand how that came to fruition. But uh, basically, (laughs) um, Jannetty and Rich uh, were uh, double-teaming me, and Bobby Eaton came to the ring, and they assumed that Bobby Eaton was, you know, open to entertain their offer. He was not. Uh, uh, He teed off on them, and we had us a tag-team match.
1: Kind of a beautiful Bobby. Did he still have it, quote-unquote, have it? that point yes
0: absolutely i think that was that was might have been christmas of 2007 somewhere around there so yeah i i love bobby he's he's great and i'd been on a bunch of uh, mason dixon events with him and he was always a class act and um he told my daughters uh you know call me uncle bobby and so that was probably cool and put me over to my kids even
1: now, as far as PCW, I know you said it's a possibility. Are you leaning one way or another if it's going to come back
0: or not? No, I can't say I'm leaning one way or another. It kind of depends on how how things really turn out. If we can get back to a level of normalcy where, you know, you can put 300 people in a 300-person building, likely. If not, not, it's not likely.
1: What was the most favorite show you've ever promoted for PCW?
0: Whew, man. Let Freedom Ring. It was July of 2018, I believe. Um, it was basically a two-match card. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a six or seven-match card, but two matches that were built up to draw the crowd. We did a Sunday in the summer, which we had never done before. We drew a great crowd, almost capacity at the KOA, um, and the main the the main events were uh, champions versus challenger, it was a match eight man tag, but the the main event was Draulics versus Phoenix Fury in a dog collar match that had been built up for over a year, and Jose, um, my graphics guy who does the covers of my books, uh, produced some awesome um, vignettes for that match, and I truly think that you know hydraulics and phoenix furies drew the crowd with the help of those those vignettes which rival and you know anything on you know any television companies programs national television programs.
1: so i know you're doing the book stuff but where do you see yourself let's just say a few years down the road do you still see clay sullivan becoming a dominant force like where do you see yourself what do you want to be doing
0: uh, I mean, I hope to still be writing uh, books um, and I hope Clay Sullivan is a, is a part of that. I, Clay Sullivan will stick around as long as people want to um, want to read about him. Uh, I think I always write. I've always written, you know, one way or the other, whether you're writing a wrestling format or you're writing, a, you know, a, a short story or something. So I think that that's probably going to be a part of my life until, you know, until the end. Um, and I hope Clay Sullivan stays a part of that. I, d- I definitely want to branch out and do some other, other things. There's a, there's a nonfiction book that I think that um, your listeners will be interested in that I hope to have out by the end of the year. Um, and, you know, I want to do some different kind of books. I don't want to get pigeonholed into one genre. I think that's, you know, we'll probably get boring just like, you know, any other thing that you do in life, you kind of want to do some variety.
1: Give us one last big push. For your books, Dead Man's Breath, of course, and the New Raven Conspiracy, give us a big push. You know what what it's about, why everyone should get it, and where they can get it.
0: Well, the, the, so everything you can, you want to find out about, you know, Tyler Cates and and Clay Sullivan can be found at www.tylercatesauthor.com. dot uh, um, All my social media links to buy the books, which they're both available through Amazon and Kindle. Um, the Raven Conspiracy, um, when people read it, they're going to see that there are some similarities between uh, that, that story and current events. Current events of the last year definitely um, inspired some of that book. Um, Clay is taken out of his uh, native West Virginia, and this story takes place in Baltimore, um and i think that people are going to enjoy it or you know to be honest they, they're either going to enjoy it a lot or they're going to hate it i think this might be controversial there's probably will be some blowback um but you know that's that's going to be with anything in this world anymore so um i'll let people judge it on their their own you know when they read it and
1: as far as some social media stuff where can everybody
0: get you we're we're on i'm on facebook uh tyler Kate's author, uh, instagram with the same tyler cates uh, 14 on twitter all those links are on tylercatesauthor.com where you can find all that as well as uh you know signings and things of that nature which we have a signing june 5th uh from 11 to 1 at fuzzy dog books and music and that's in charlestown and all the details are on my website for that as well
1: all right tyler great stuff from you and definitely looking forward to some uh, more books and maybe possibly The Return of PCW. But
0: thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate you.
1: This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire. Become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.